One of the most greatest instruments that God delights in is the human voice. And so we, we sometimes just stop the instruments to allow God to hear the, the glorious human voice. Let's, um, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 18, the passage that we're going to look at today. Kids, if you're here, I wanted to uh, go over before we start our family discussion questions, but I also want to encourage adults and anybody, especially today, I would really like to encourage you today to think about going home and discussing these questions because there's not a household that shouldn't discuss these questions and, and incorporate this into our lives. So kids, here are the questions. You see them at the bottom of the, of the uh, bulletin. Uh, there it says, what is the difference in the mathematics of forgiveness between Peter and Jesus? They're both going to do math, but they're going to do it very differently. Describe the important points of the parable that Jesus told. Why is forgiveness so important? This is hard. How are we supposed to do this? Have you experienced God's forgiveness? And those are topics that we're going to take up in the sermon today. And so I just want to encourage you, uh, be listening for those things. Let's pray together. Father, help us, we pray, as we come to study your word. Bless and be with us, we ask. Lead us and guide us. Teach us in an area that, of something that we are actually supposed to be doing every day, every single day. Help us, we pray. Teach us, we ask. Lead us and guide us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love to watch YouTube videos on how to do things. I'm constantly taking up, Jan's always, uh, Jan's always teasing me that I, I take up a new hobby every week, but I, I just love to learn things. So if I need to fix something, I go on YouTube and show me how to fix it. If I'm trying to learn a new skill, I go on YouTube and try to learn that skill. And when you do that, what they'll do is they will explain to you how to do this. And so maybe you're, so they'll say, now take all these bolts off of here. And, that, and then what they do is, as he's showing you how to get one off, and then if you have to take off like 10 or 15 more, then they, they go into fast forward speeding. You see this guy going really fast all the way around. And I feel like I'm going to do that a little bit with this passage of Scripture. We're going to take a large passage of Scripture. I'm taking large passages of Scripture through the book of Matthew for a reason. This is called consecutive expository preaching. We're going through the book consecutively, and we're expositing, and we're opening it up. But I, I've been, instead of uh, taking each little section and preaching a sermon, which would have taken me probably 10 years to get through the book of Matthew, which would have been worthwhile. That would have, Some people do that that way. But this time I wanted us to see the flow, to see the progression. And so what we're going to look at today is um, we're going to uh, sort of conclude the theme of the little ones. This is where the YouTube video is going to go a little bit fast. And then we're going to do church, the church discipline section. Again, the YouTube video is going to go fast. I'm just going to hit the high points. And then we're going to focus on the third section, which is the section on the math of forgiveness, the mathematics of forgiveness. So if you look in your, in your Bible, Matthew 18, and if you were here last week, you remember that we talked about the little ones. Jesus brought the little child and stood him there. And then, he, and then he seems to be expanding. So commentators aren't sure whether Jesus is continuing to talk about children or he's talking about all of the little ones who have come by simple childlike faith, all the, even the adults, to believe in him. 
But you'll notice if, as, as Dixie read this passage, Jesus talked about uh, the fact that, the, look at verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels shall see the face of my father who is in heaven. And so Jesus is saying in one sense that these angels are watching over. They're watching over. And the Bible teaches that. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, uh, are they not, referring to angels, are they not all ministering spirits set forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? There's clearly a theme in Scripture that angels are at work. Angels are involved in our lives. Unfortunately, people sometimes then take these angels and run with it as if the angels are Jesus. They're, he is, they're not Jesus, but they are at work in our lives. But in this passage, Jesus is actually speaking of himself as the shepherd. And you, you'll remember, in, in, look at verses 11 through 14. Jesus tells the parable of, of leaving the sheep. And, and the 99, one, one wanders away. And, and, and you leave the 99 and you go after the, the one. You go to try to find the one. And I want to tell you something. If you've ever had to do this, this all comes alive to you. And I actually did have to do this once in my life. We were raising sheep for uh, 4-H, and, uh, which is quite an investment, by the way. And then the kids told me that the sheep were gone. And uh, we were out there looking for these sheep through hill and dale and everywhere to get these sheep. And the kids are crying because they want their sheep back and everything like that. And this whole passage came alive to me. And Jesus is here saying that he goes after, he, 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 he's concerned about his sheep. Look at verse 14. Even so that not the will of my Father that, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. And so all of his sheep, that Jesus is the good shepherd, he, he's, he wants all of his sheep to come. He wants them. And if they're straying, he goes and finds them. And that's the beautiful parable that's here. Now, interesting then, I never really spent a lot of time looking at the connection because the next section has to do, believe it or not, with church discipline. Church discipline. And you remember this, this section? Uh, look at verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. Now, it's an interesting connection here because the earlier section, Jesus is saying, I, it, leave the 99 and go after the one. Here you have a person who's sinning, and there's an effort to restore him. Now, I just, I just want to hit some of the highlights here. The YouTube video is going to go fast here as well. Notice the first thing about this section. We're to always keep these issues small. We're to always keep the circle as small as possible. If your brother sins against you, if you have a problem with a brother and sister, you don't go to a third party immediately. You don't go to your Bible study and tell them about it. You don't get on the phone and gossip with your friends. You don't do that. You keep the circle as small as possible, and you go directly to that person. And, and if somebody does come to you with something like that, say, hey, you know what? You're just violating the scripture here. You're not supposed to be telling me this. Have you talked to so-and-so? You need to go to talk to so-and-so. So you go to your brother, and you point out their sin. And they don't listen. They, don't, they, 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 they brush you off. They say, no, no, I, I didn't do that. No, no. Then you take two or three more because the biblical principle is under the testimony of truth. You take two or three more. Again, you don't go gossiping through the whole church. You don't even run to the elders yet. 
You take two or three more other people and you go to them and you say, listen, brother, you're sinning in this area. You need to stop sinning in this area. And what are you doing? You're trying to win your brother back. And see, that's what Jesus is constantly looking at here. Look at the end of verse 15. You gained your brother. You gained your brother. You're trying to gain him back. But if he refuses then, then you bring it to the church. Then you bring it to the church. And if the person refuses the church, notice what Jesus is saying. He says, look at verse 15. But if he refuses even to hear the whole church. Now, the whole church has agreed that this person is living in some kind of sin, some kind of very dangerous sin and needs to repent. You're going after the one. Leave the 99, go after the one. Try to get him to repent. If he won't repent, you cast him out of the church. And you treat him like a tax collector and a sinner. In other words, you have no social interaction. It's called excommunication. You get him out. Paul actually refers to this twice in the book of once in the book of Corinthians and once in 1 Corinthians and once in 1 Timothy, of handing people over to Satan, of putting them back into the world, of giving them back to the kingdom of darkness, in hopes that having experienced the rejection of the church then they would turn and see what dangerous situation their soul's in, and then they would come back. Now, this is serious stuff, very serious stuff. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this. If we, if, you know, if we were to be in a situation where we had to work through this church discipline, we would. But notice what it says in verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, and notice the context, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three agree on the earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. I want you to notice the incredible spiritual power and authority that the local church has. If a biblical church lovingly, carefully follows this pattern, one-on-one, two or three to one, bring to the church, seeking to restore, seeking to get to the person to repent, and that person doesn't repent, and they say, you can no longer function in our midst anymore. You must go out. You must go back into the kingdom of Satan. You're no longer welcome amongst the people of God. If that ever happens to a person, that person has no reason to believe that they will also be welcomed into heaven. It is that serious. Now, as soon as we get involved in church discipline like that, people say this, this is so unloving. This is so judgmental. This isn't right. I'm not going to do this. Well, let me answer that by saying this. And I'll just simply put it this way. If I, Todd Johnson, am ever involved in a persistent, damning sin in my life, and you recognize that, and you come to me, and I don't repent, and you bring two or three, and, you, and, and I don't repent, and you hold a congregational meeting, and I don't repent, I beg you, I beg you, love me enough do the hard thing, shock me into repentance, kick me out of this church, have no social fellowship with me whatsoever in hopes that before I perish, I will repent. That will be the most loving thing that you can do to me. And that's what this scripture is teaching. If you have any other questions about this, again, ask some godly person here. Talk to one of your elders in that. But what I want to focus on this morning is the last section, which is the section on forgiveness. Look at verse 21. Peter, 
comes up to Jesus in the, in the, in the midst. And see, Luke, Matthew has tied all of this together. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And in Luke, there's actually a talk of seven times in one day. This is a bad dude. But how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times. And, 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 and Peter feels like he's being generous here. He feels like he's, he's going out of his way. And Jesus says to him, look at verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some of your Bibles say 77 times. It, that, it's hard to, to tell in, in the actual original language. I think the weight of evidence is more towards 70 times seven, like in the New King James. So Jesus saying, no, you know, a 70 times seven. That's how many times you're to forgive. And then Jesus tells a parable. Now notice what it says. He says this. He says, therefore, look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. By the way, let me pause here to give you a little, uh, little bit of information. Matthew tends to use the phrase kingdom of heaven. Luke tends to use the phrase kingdom of God. Why is that? Well, Luke's gospel is written to the, to the Gentile world primarily. Matthew's gospel is written to the Jewish world. And Jews were very hesitant in first century Palestine area. They were hesitant to use the name God. And so they, they used the word kingdom of heaven. But it, they're the same thing, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. So Jesus tells this parable. And it's the parable of a king who's going to settle accounts with his servants. So the king's going to settle accounts with his servants. And notice what it says uh, in verse 24, when he had begun to settle accounts, it's almost as if the first guy that was brought to him, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is a huge amount, a huge amount. Some commentators think that Jesus would, it, it, this could almost be translated zillions of dollars because it's the one word, 10,000 talents is a one word, the highest word that you could use in the Greek language to describe a figure, 10,000 talents. What's a talent? Well, a talent weighs about 80 pounds. One talent weighs about 80 pounds. And it was basically the way they weighed precious metals. Usually it was silver. So one talent is 80 pounds of silver, all right? So think of it this way. Silver on Wednesday, that's when I checked it out, was $24.22 an ounce on the market here in the United States, or in the world market. $24.22 an ounce. So one talent, which is 80 pounds, 10,000 talents, which is a whole lot more than that. This, the money event, uh, a figure in our day and age of what Jesus is saying here would be $310 million. This man owed $310 million. Another way that you can look at it, though, was this. And this is the way they looked at it. And I'm going to bring this up because it's going to factor in. One talent, just one talent, equals what's called 6,000 denarii. And a denarii was a coin. A, denari, a denarius is a coin that would, is a silver coin that would be what a person would be paid for one full day of wages. One full day of work, you got a denarius, okay? And so one talent is 6,000 denarius, all right? So 10,000 talents would be equivalent to 60 million days of work, okay? So let's put it another way. It would take you 20 years' work to make one talent. So 10,000 talents, which is what this guy owes, it would take 200,000 years of work, okay? So let's just give us some idea. This guy owes an amazing amount of money. 
Now, how did he get that far in debt? Well, he's one of the servants of the king. And he's probably, this is probably government embezzlement that's going on here, mismanagement, extravagant living. But anyway, obviously the king decides, I need to settle accounts. You know why? Because 10,000 talents is missing and I have no idea where it went. Start bringing my servants in and let's find out where it went. Well, here's the first guy that comes walking through the door. Maybe it's his secretary of treasury or something. This guy has embezzled or stole or spent over 10,000 talents, $310 million. And the king looks at him, and then it says this. Look at verse 25. That as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that the payment be made. So this man is being sold into slavery. Now think about how devastating this would be. This man is going to be sold into slavery. You are going to be a slave, and I am going to get wages. Your wages are not going to come to you. They're going to come to me. And your wife is going to be sold into slavery, and all of your children are going to be sold into slavery. So this man's never going to see his wife again. He's never going to see his children again. And they're all going to work and work and work and work and work until 310 million dollars are being paid this is a life sentence without parole this is a life sentence without parole this man is basically going to heaven for uh, i'm sorry going to prison forever forever he's not going to get out of prison in his entire life his wife is not going to get out of prison for her entire life their children are not going to get out of prison for their entire lives and so the man just breaks down he breaks down look at verse 26 and the servant therefore fell down before him he breaks down before him. He's begging. He's wallowing in the dust, saying, Master. Now, check these words out. It's very important. Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Number one, there's no way he could pay this back. He can't work for 200,000 years. There's no way he could pay this back. But he's asking for patience. He's asking. He's trying to make it right. He's, he's beside himself. And the amazing verse is the next one. Look at verse 27. Actually, in the original language, this is very powerful because in the original language, the very first word that says went, went like this. Moved with compassion. Moved with the deepest of feelings. Moved with compassion deep down inside his heart. The master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. This king looked upon this man and his wife and children may be present there with him, all crying, all on their faces, all begging, all in a helpless and hopeless situation. And he was moved with compassion. He felt bad for the man. He had mercy upon him. He cared about him. He didn't want him to have to suffer. And so what does he do? He releases him of that entire debt. It says, look, he releases him, first of all, from the jail, and he forgave him the entire debt. He said, I am going to absorb your debt. I am going to take the bill that you owe me and rip it up. I'm going to take the account and put paid in full. I am going to absorb this loss. I am going to be $310 million in debt. I am going to take the loss. I am going to pay, as it were, for you. This is all going to be on me, but I forgive you. Never think of it again. It's as if you never embezzled a penny from me. It's as if you never did anything wrong. You're forgiven. You're pardoned. It's over. Go take your dear wife and your children, and you go home. You're fine. We'll never talk about this again. 
All because of grace. All because of grace. This is a massive example of grace. This man didn't deserve this. This is a massive example of compassion. A massive example of mercy and love. And it's unfair in one sense, isn't it? It's unfair to the king. For the king has to absorb all of this loss. But his grace and his mercy was overwhelming compared to that. And that's what makes verse 28 so strange. So strange. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. Now, the word that's used there to find is actually an active word. He went out looking for somebody who owed him money. Now, why did he do that? I think probably what happened was is he was sitting there and the king said, you owe me 10,000 talents. This guy says, have mercy upon me, king. I'll pay you back. And in his head, he's thinking, who owes me money? Who owes me money? I'm going to go grab that money and give it to the king and start paying back. And so he left that thing. And the thing that was foremost in his mind and foremost on his heart is, I've got to get a hold of this buddy. He owes me and he owes me big. Well, not big compared to the king at all. But he owes, notice what it says here. He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, this guy owed, he owed uh, $60, $60 million a day's worth of denarii. He owned all of that denarii. And this guy owns, only owes him 100 denarii. And notice what he does. He lays his hands on him. He takes him around the throat. He's actually choking this man. He's choking. This guy's gurgling. This guy's catching his breath. This guy's face is turning red. Then it's turning blue. He's choking. Give me my money. Give me my money. Give me that hundred denarii. Give me it now. I want it now. And he lets go, and this guy falls to the ground. And notice what it says next. Verse 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him. Saying, now look at verse 29 and compare it with verse 26. Almost the exact same words come out of his mouth that the man who choked him just said earlier to the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. He's saying the exact same words. Like this man should have said, wait a minute. He should have started making connections to what just happened in the castle over there with the king. But he would have none of it. He would have none of it. His heart is hardened. His heart is done. He will have none of it. And notice what he does. So then, so he says in verse 30, and he would not. He would not. And that is so different than verse 27. Verse 27 says the master of the servant was moved with compassion. Verse 30 says the guy who, owes, who, who, who is owed a small amount of money, he would not. But went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and they told their master, they told the king all that had been done. And when the master, after he had called him, so he brings him back in, he says to him, you wicked servant, you evil man. That's, a, that's another way it could be translated. I forgave you all of that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant. The compassion that I showed you, shouldn't you have showed it to him? Just as I had pity on you. And then the master, his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. The word could be translated jailers or torturers. Either way, they're not nice guys. Until he should pay all that was due to him. And then Jesus concludes the parable by saying this. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart 
does not forgive his brother the trespasses. My heavenly Father. Now let's apply this to ourselves. Dear friends, one thing that we could take away from this right away is this. It is extremely important that we forgive other people. It is extremely important. Any of us who claims to have experienced God's grace and God's forgiveness for all of our sins, it is extremely important that we are people who freely give, who freely give, who freely give forgiveness to those around us. In fact, we're to pray about this every day, daily. Turn with me in your Bibles. You're in Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Back in the early, uh, back when we were studying the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a prayer or the content, not the actual going through road. He's, he talks earlier about rote praying. That's not what this is to be about. This is an outline of how we're to pray. He says this in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Obviously, this is to be a prayer that is prayed every day. God, please give me what I need today. I, I recognize that all that I need must come from your hand. Please today give me the food that I need today. So this is a daily prayer that's supposed to be prayed. And then we next pray this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, forgive me of all of my sin. And God, I forgive all of those who have sinned against me. That's supposed to be our daily prayer. And then in verse 14, Jesus says the very same thing he's said in this parable. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. We are supposed to be people who extend forgiveness. We're to do that. That's who we're called to be because we have experienced so much forgiveness. We're supposed to be people who just, because of what God has done, because of how God has treated us, be very willing and willing and willing and willing to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive. We're not to be people who are to allow uh, unforgiveness to do what it does if, if it continues in your heart. Unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else will turn into a bitterness, a deep-rooted bitterness, and that bitterness will harden into malice. And malice is when you have a set hatred towards somebody that just simply will not go away, a set hatred. When that person comes into the orb of your life, when that person comes into a thought, when that person walks into a room, when you see that person driving down the street, that you have allowed your unforgiveness to turn into bitterness and to turn into malice, you hate that person when you see them. You immediately go like this. Your claws come out. You go like this. You're, you're ready to gossip about them. You're ready to cut them down. You don't have anything to do with them. You avoid them. Because unforgiveness has turned into bitterness. And that has turned into malice. So we're supposed to be people who forgive. But you know what? And I know you know this. It's hard to forgive. It is hard to forgive. It's hard to forgive people. Because when you forgive people... You let him get away with it. You let it rest. You don't get your payback. See, if you keep hating them, there's a, way, a sense that you can get payback from them. And if you can make life bad for them, that's, that's getting payback. That's, that's at least getting something back for what they've done. When you forgive, it's all over. No, 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 no. I rip up the bill. I burn the mortgage. Paid in full. I'll never bring it up again. It's done. You choose to suffer in one sense, when you forgive them. You suffer the injustice. 
They treated you unjustly. You're, 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 you're okay. You're not going to get any payback. You suffer the ill treatment. You suffer the gossip. They gossiped about you. But you forgive. It's over. I'm not going to gossip about them. It's over. You suffer the ugly outburst of anger. You suffer the neglect. You suffer the lies. You absorb that, as it were. And you make it no more longer an issue. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. We are called to forgive. We are called to forget. We're called not to keep up any, 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 any list. We're called to extend grace. We're called to show compassion. We're called to show mercy. How do you do that? How do you do it? Well, let me give you some advice from the scriptures, some help. We do it when we walk daily, consistently, even hourly with a full sense of gratitude and utter amazement of how God has treated us. How God has treated us and forgiven us. You see, here's what was supposed to happen. That man stood before the king and the king said, you owe me 10,000 talents. That's almost hard to do. You had to, you had to steal so much money. That's, that's hard. You must have hated me so much you stole all that money. But I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to continue. This debt is nothing. I'm going to forgive you of it all. And the glow. Thank you, King. Thank you so much. I, I can't. I don't have words to describe how kind you've been to me, how good you've been to me. And he was supposed to walk out of that throne room and walking down the street. Here, walking up the street is a guy who owes him just a hundred denarii. And the guy holding, walking up the street might say, oh, no, I, I, I still owe him that hundred dollars. And he may start the conversation, hey, hey, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'll, I'll get your money to you. I'm, I'm trying to get it all together. And what should that man have done? He should have come up to him, still glowing with joy and thankfulness. He should have just embraced his buddy and said, hey, buddy, hey, no, forget it. Forget it. Let's just cancel the debt. You don't owe me anything, dear friend. You don't owe me anything. Let's never even talk about this again. Come on, let's go get lunch. That's what should have happened. And that's what will happen if we are conscious, if we are walking consciously in what God has done for us, what God has forgiven us, that God has forgiven us. Do you need to forgive somebody in your life right now? Do you have somebody in your life that you need to forgive? You're holding on and you need to release. You need to let go. Let me ask you this. Think in your head what they have done to you that you are holding on to that. What have they done to you? Have they been mean to you? Have they slandered you? Have they judged you? Have they spoken lies about you? What have they done? What have they done? Now, once you've identified that, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever done that to anybody else? Have you ever been mean? Have you ever gossiped? Have you ever, have you ever done the exact sin that they've done against you that you're holding against them? Have you ever done this? See, I do this to myself. When I'm struggling with forgiveness, I'll say, okay, why am I mad at him? I'm mad at him or her for this reason. But you know what? I've done that. In fact, I've done that a lot of times. And guess what? Even though I've done that very same thing that I'm holding against him or her, God has forgiven me of it. God has cleansed me. God has washed me. God has taken away that sin. 
If, 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 if some angel or Satan himself would remind God of that sin, God would say, no, I don't see any sin. Forgiven. Gone. I'm not even going to talk about it. It's forgiven. It's gone. My grace and mercy has covered it. And when I find in my heart that I realize that God has been so good in forgiving me of all my 10,000 talents, my 10,000 lies, my 10,000 of meannesses, my 10,000 gossips, my 10,000 misjudging, my 10,000 of things, I can forgive this one for what he has done. I can forgive because of God's grace and goodness towards me. Dear ones, compassion, mercy, Grace should flow from us, to, from God to us, and then flow from us to other people around us. Christians, let us forgive each other. Always, let us forgive each other. I love how William Hendrickson put it in the bulletin. It's in the bulletin, by the way. Um, at the very top of the last page, look, I'm going to read this quote, but look at this quote. It's from William Hendrickson's commentary. And he said this, he does this, Jesus does this to Peter 70 times 7. He does this to show that the spirit of genuine forgiveness recognizes no boundaries. Not seven times Peter, 70 times 7. It is a state of heart, not a matter of calculation. One might as well say, how often must I love my wife, my husband, and my children as to ask, how often shall I forgive? I think that's a powerful statement. One might as well ask, how often must I love my, my wife? You must always love your wife. I must always love my son. You must always love your husband, your children. And ask, how shall I forgive? Everyone immediately senses that when Jesus said up to 70 times seven, 70 times seven times, he did not mean exactly 499 times, and uh, 490 times, but not 491. Clearly what he meant was forgive without ever stopping. Be kind toward your brother. Always. Always. Listen to some other passages of scripture. Ephesians 4. Verses 31, 32. Remember I talked about bitterness and malice. Look at this. Let all bitterness, wrath, all by the way. See the all? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But be kind to one another, tender-hearted. There's that compassion. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Wait a minute. That person, that person was mean to me. Well, how many times have I been mean? And how many times have God forgiven me in Christ of that meanness? That's what I should be doing here. How about Colossians 3, 12 to 14? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. There's that compassion. Kindness, humility, like little children, meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Dear friends, I want to encourage you to be people who freely forgive, freely forgive, freely forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And I'm going to tell you something. When, you, when this begins to happen in your life, when you drink deeply of God's grace so that that glow never goes away of how forgiven I am, of how forgiven the king has forgiven me, of infinite amount of sin, he has justified me. It's as if I've never sinned in his sight. I'm sinless in his sight through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has forgiven me. He's forgiven me. And that glow just continues each day to fill your heart 
so that you're ready to forgive and you're ready to forgive and you're ready to forgive and you're ready to forgive. I'm going to tell you something, dear friends. That's incredibly liberating. The bitterness begins to go away. The anger begins to go away. The malice begins to go away and melt away. I know that some of you here may be saying this, though. Todd, that's good for the average person. But I have bitterness in my heart because something horrible happened to me. I was raped. I was sexually molested by somebody I should have been able to trust. I was savagely beaten. One of my loved ones was killed by a sloppy drunk behind the wheel of a car. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. My father, who sexually molested me, a person might say, is dead now, but I'll never forget him. May he rot in hell. Dear ones, that is not what God calls us to do. Now, I've never had these horrible things happen to me, but that is not what God has called us to do. You say, but where's the justice in this? Well, dear friends, there's always justice with forgiveness. Actually, remember I said they get away with it, they get away, absorb it. I did that for a reason, so that we don't say, no, I want my pound of flesh, I want my justice. No, 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 we say, I forgive, I forgive. But we always do that, dear friends, in the context that God is a God of justice. So let me go back. The king says, I rip up what you owe me. I rip it up. I absorb it into myself. But here's how it really happens. God the Father takes our sin, our debt, and he hands it to his son. And his son takes it to the cross and nails it there and dies on behalf of our sin. And God extends us forgiveness. Dear friends, we extend forgiveness because we have experienced forgiveness because Jesus paid our debt upon the cross. We experience that forgiveness. You say, yeah, well then how can I forgive somebody? He's an unbeliever and he did this or something. How do I forgive them? I'll tell you how you do it. You don't let their sin continually torment you. you. I have been in counseling and I have said to people, your father who sexually molested you, your uncle who sexually molested you, and your, who abused you is still abusing you from the grave. Why? Because you won't let this go. You need to say, I forgive him. Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. I forgive him. And I leave the justice issue to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Leave that to God. Don't you take that. Leave that to God. That's a God job. That's his job. And believe me, God can do it much better than you are. Your anger, your frustration, your, 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 your malice, your bitterness, it's eating you up. You've brought hell in your heart. It's eating you up. Get rid of that. Forgive. I forgive you. I forgive you. And I leave it in the hands of God. Let God's anger deal with it. And that person who's abused you, that person who's molested you, that person who raped you, one or two things will happen to that person. They will be held accountable for that sin. And they will suffer eternal torment for it. Or they will come to Christ. And Christ will perish for that sin. 
that sin will not go unpunished. No sin will ever go unpunished. The God of the just will punish. But here's where we need to be concerned. If we don't extend forgiveness, God will not forgive us. God will not. God says, listen, this is how we do things in my kingdom. I extend grace to you. You extend grace to others. If you refuse to extend grace to others, then you will not be forgiven by me. You say, how does that work with... Let's not deal with that right now. Let's deal with this truth. Because, dear friends, it scares me to death when I meet people who will not forgive. And it scares me to death in my heart when I catch myself turning to bitterness. And it scares me to death because this passage is supposed to scare you. Dear friends, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Pray for grace to forgive. Forgiveness isn't like that. Okay, I'll do this. Boom, it's done. No. Sometimes you have to pray through it. Sometimes you have to, to plead with God. Sometimes you have to ask God to help you, to give you grace and mercy. But as you begin to find that when that person comes into your orb, into your thoughts or into your life, you don't immediately want to hate and get vengeance. You actually begin to pity them. You actually begin to pray as Jesus prayed. Forgive them. They know not what they did. They have no idea how much they hurt me. They have no idea how much pain they caused me. But Father, don't. I forgive them. I forgive them. Have mercy upon them. Or they will suffer eternal suffering. Finally, let me say this. Are you forgiven by God? Are you Forgiven by God? Or are you going to go into, par- into eternity having not reconciled with God through Jesus Christ? If you go into eternity and you die having not reconciled with God, having not experienced God's forgiveness, having not had your sins transferred to Jesus, having not having the smile of God and God forgetting your sins and never remembering them again, if you go into eternity with your sins upon you, God will have nothing to do with you. God will cast you into hell. And there you will be separated from him forever. Because you did not seek forgiveness. Today is not the day of judgment. Today is the day of salvation. And God extends his arms, his wide loving arms to you and say, I'm ready to forgive you right now of everything. I'm ready to apply it all to Jesus. I'm ready to give you eternal life. Just come to me, come to me, and I'll pour grace out upon you. Oh, dear ones, please come to him. Do not go into eternity unforgiving and unforgiven. Do not go into eternity when forgiveness is available to you now. Could you imagine somebody who's been perishing in hell for the last 50 years saying, I remember when grace was offered to me, and I was too busy, I was too unconcerned. And I died without grace. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Let's pray. Father, these things have, are overwhelmingly powerful. I know that there are people here that have had immense hurt done to them in their life. Immense pain. Some of us here maybe have not had that dramatic immense pain. But we've had enough, we've had a lot. Or maybe even just recently. Maybe it's as simple as a spat with my spouse. Maybe it's, it's simply somebody that was my friend or somebody that I work with. Oh, Father, please, we pray. 
Help us not to hold on to bitterness and anger. Help us to be like you, to be imitators of you. You have extended us absolute free forgiveness and you purchased it. You paid for it. You paid for our sins. You absorbed the cost in yourself through the blood of your son. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that all of our sins have been forgiven. Thank you that this terrible debt, which we could never pay, has been completely washed away. Thank you that we are justified. Thank you that it is just as if we've never sinned. Thank you that you have poured out your grace upon us. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Help us to leave this place with a glow in our heart to never die, that never dies. And give us grace to extend grace to brother and sister in Christ, to all that we see. Help us to walk in the joy and liberty of forgiveness, of forgiving. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask.